0: Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. A Radio.com Sports Podcast.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number two of the Prevent Defense Podcast, brought to you by Radio.com Sports. And of course, you can listen to this on the Radio.com app and all of the uh, podcast apps you might use. I'm Elliot Shore Parks, here with the one and only Brian Baldinger. What's going on, Baldy?
2: Well, Elliot, I mean, I'm good to be with you here today. I mean, we're kind of getting through this preseason. We're getting to that dreaded fourth preseason game on Thursday night where everybody will mm-hmm. play, uh, everybody at the bottom of their roster, hope for no injuries, and start getting ready for uh, a week from Thursday when the season kicks off.
1: Our 100th year, that's right. And, and it is crazy. We're now recording this on a uh, on a Tuesday afternoon, and it is crazy that we are now only 10 uh, or 11 days away from week one, and of course, we'll have that uh, Thursday night game before that, but the uh, first thing I want to say is just thanks to everybody that listened to episode number one. We had uh, great responses to it. I appreciate everybody that left reviews in the podcast uh, app. We got one that says Brown fans are mad because because uh, Baldy, I guess, picked the Ravens. We both said we really like the Ravens, but... Uh, Obviously, that's just tongue-in-cheek, but I appreciate everyone that took the time to leave reviews. But, of course, Baldy, we have to start with what is the biggest story in the NFL still, three or four days after it happened, and that is the retirement of Andrew Luck. I I just wanted to start, and I think we should look ahead at this point. Obviously, we know it was a shocking retirement. We know the reaction from the fans, and I do have some thoughts on that. But first question I just wanted to ask you was, like this was probably the four, the first sports moment of my lifetime in the NFL that I'll always remember where I was when it happened. Right. I just gotten in. Uh, I'm sitting on the couch with my girlfriend. I get the alert and I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe this. What was where, what was your initial reaction when you heard about this?
2: The same, Elliot, the same. I was I was in Atlanta. I was just doing an event in Atlanta and uh, I was with some friends when the, uh, the alert came through and I was shocked. So immediately you go and okay, what's Shefty saying? You know, what, uh, you know, what, what is the truth behind this? Because quite honestly, Elliot, uh, Ron Jaworski and myself sat down with Andrew Luck at the Pro Bowl this year. and We did a film session with him. And yeah. the first thing we talked about was his health this year. And the fact that, you know, in July of training camp last year, he was throwing a Nerf ball and he was happy just to be able to throw a Nerf ball without pain. And he was able to get through a season for the first time in three years without an injury, without pain. And he had this renewed love of the game. He, he went out of his way to express how much fun it was just to play football again when he had serious doubts and dark moments. So when I saw that on Saturday, when it came through, I thought, well, he had just gotten through that dark period and it, Made me think this injury, which has been very mysterious from its outset, how it happened, what it is, must really be bad. Because he must really be in pain and he must really have his doubts to just shut it down at this point. And so I was shocked. I was really shocked after talking to Andrew back at the Pro Bowl, after the great year he had and how much fun he had playing the game and playing for Frank Reich and being back, uh, you know, under center again.
1: Yeah, and speaking of Frank Reich, that was one of the first things I thought of too, because I remember talking to Frank and I got to know him during his time as an offensive coordinator here in Philadelphia. But when I saw him at the league meetings back in, I guess it was March, and just talking about his first year in Indianapolis, one of the first things he said was, Man, I'm just, I'm lucky to have a quarterback like Andrew Luck. That was, you know, one of the reasons he was so excited about the job, one of the reasons, because you mentioned it, right? I mean, Luck had a, a bounce back year last year and he told you about his renewed love for the game. And Frank was just, adamant about how he thought this upcoming season was going to be a great one from luck. And, and I think that something that's really come out since the retirement and you kind of hit the nail on the head was maybe how bad the current injury he was dealing with was, I mean, there's now people saying he might've started season, started the season on the IR when most people thought he would play week one. So clearly, you know, he was going through a lot dealing with uh, the Achilles injury or the lower leg injury uh, was definitely worse than we all thought. But, One of the narratives since the Luck retirement is, is this something that we could start to see become a trend? I talked to Zach Ertz and uh, Malcolm Jenkins in the Eagles locker room this week about it. And they said they don't know if it's going to become a trend, but they think that, you know, obviously the more players learn about the impact the sport has on their body, you could start to see it more. And I'm really interested in asking you, obviously, as a former player, do you, do you remember when you kind of said to, my, said to yourself, okay, I have to retire now? Did you ever think about retiring early? And what do you kind of think of the possibility of this becoming a trend?
2: I don't think it's a trend. Uh, it happened to me, to a Pro Bowl player when I was in Dallas, our Pro Bowl left tackle, Pat Donovan, uh, mm-hmm. didn't come back to minicamp after a Pro Bowl season and in 1983. And everybody was like, Where, where's Pat? Where's Pat? I mean, there was no way to really announce retirements. He just, after nine years and also a Stanford graduate, uh, decided he'd have enough. It's the exception, Elliot. Um, I know Gronk, you know, has retired, and these injuries do take its toll. Uh, I I mean, both these guys are very young, Andrew Luck and Gronkowski. But, you know, for me, I always believed, and most players subscribe to this, of playing as long as you can and then two more years drag me off the field take the cleats off my feet um, it's a special game it's hard to replace the guys that can retire early uh, or you know walk away from it uh, into the sunset put the pads down and go generally are very bright and are looking forward to doing other things unfortunately mm-hmm. fortunately a lot of players don't feel that way they don't know what they're gonna do to replace the camaraderie, the fun, the excitement on Sundays. I mean, most guys panic thinking about that. So, you know, Andrew Luck, I remember talking to him, Elliot, when he was a a senior at Stanford, and a lot of people thought he was going to come out after his junior year and be the number one pick. And, you know, I did an interview with him at the Hall of Fame building at Stanford when he was a senior, and he pulled up on his mountain bike with his backpack on and his uh, flip-flops on, and he just loved being a student at Stanford. And, you know, you're not seeing many guys stay in college when they can become the number one pick in the draft the way. So Andrew Luck has always sort of valued other things in addition to loving the game of football. And to your point and to your question, most guys just don't think that way. It's different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, look, uh, Zach Ertz was a teammate with um, with Luck at Stanford, and he said that, Although it's surprising, of course, anytime you get a tech, you know, a text at Saturday night saying, you know, Andrew Luck's retired, it's gonna be surprising. He kind of spoke to what you just said, that luck is a different kind of guy. And he joked that, you know, he texted Andrew saying, Oh, you know, congratulations on retirement, but he didn't expect to hear back for almost a week because Andrew Luck still has a flip phone and he's not great with technology. So I, I do think there's a component to this that is just Andrew Luck. But I also think that there's in some ways a financial aspect of this it's in the game that didn't used to be which is a lot of these players or I, I shouldn't say a lot but a large portion of the big name players at least have enough money right now where they could walk away and they don't have to work another day in their life and i'm not sure that was always the case i mean obviously the nfl's boomed as a business recently players are making more and more each year but you know if you look back at the the 80s the 80s and the 70s and you know part of the 90s i guess players weren't making the the huge amount of money they are now. So you couldn't walk away as early now. I mean, Andrew luck after his second, third year already had enough money where he didn't have to work another day in his life. So I wonder if the combination of the finance, how much more money these guys have, plus with how much more knowledge we all have now about what football can do to your body. I do think it wouldn't, it wouldn't be surprising to me if in the next year or two, another big name player kind of steps away like Andrew luck does. But Looking forward now, because Andrew Luck is gone. He's he's filed for retirement. He He's not going to play this year. Is the Colts season over? Flat out. That's just what I'll ask you. Because obviously fans were booing. Pe- people were very upset. Colts season ticket holders are trying to return their tickets. Is the Colts season done now?
2: No. No. Flat out, no. Okay. And Frank Reich, obviously, he, he has the luxury of being here in Philadelphia when they lost Carson Wentz in 2017 on his you know he was on a clear path to being the MVP of the league and you know when Nick Foles came in to play the Raiders and the Cowboys he did not look like a Super Bowl MVP he didn't play well the team didn't play well and there was some serious doubts whether the Eagles would do anything in the playoffs you know and then to win their only Super Bowl behind Nick Foles I mean Frank has seen this story in some some regard before that being said I happen to be a fan of Jacoby Brissett. The first thing that you have to recognize about Jacoby, uh, Ellie, is he is big, strong, and sturdy. I mean, he's six four. Mm-hmm. He's thirty eight pounds. I mean, he looks Andrew Luck eye to eye. Physically, he's built for the position. Uh, I went back and, and watched him today, and his first start for the Patriots on a Monday night against the Texans. They shut the Texans out twenty seven to nothing. It was a great piece of game planning by Bill Belichick and the Patriots. But when you watch him that night, he made a lot of big third down throws. He made some big runs, uh, you know, a touchdown run off a of bootleg. I mean, he looked like he belonged. Uh, and then even when you watch him in preseason, he only played in two preseason games. But he's playing, And you know, when they played in 2017 in Indianapolis, they had just traded for him right at the start of the season and then very quickly inserted him in the lineup. Well, this is a much better team. He's been around for two full years now. He watched Andrew Luck start 18 games last year. I think he's a much better player, and the team is much better. And I like Chris Ballard. I think he has done a really good job of building this team. It started with the drafting of Quentin Nelson last year. I mean, the offensive line, Elliot last year went five and a half weeks without giving up a sack. No team in the league. Uh, Going back to the Redskins of 1991 and the Joe Gibbs and the Hogs had done anything like that before. It's a good team. It's a tight end based offense. They had five different tight ends, catch touchdowns last year. The defense is vastly improved. They might be a top 10 defense. I think all Mm. the pieces are in place to be successful. Now it's a tough division, very competitive division. So I'm not going to say they're going to win the division, but they're not at the bottom of the heap. And like Chris Ballard said, the story hasn't been written yet.
1: Yeah, look, I think to be successful in the NFL, you have to have a, you know, you have to have a great GM, a great head coach, and a great quarterback. And the Colts, despite not having Andrew Luck anymore, they still have two of those things. I, cr- I think Chris Ballard is going to be able. I mean, I know it's late now and the season's almost here, but certainly you're confident in him being able to either find that next franchise quarterback if it's not Jacoby Brissett, or put more pieces around Jacoby to make him successful. But I really do think. Frank Reich shined this week. The way he handled the Andrew Luck thing, I think that he's a guy, and you mentioned, I saw it firsthand here in Philadelphia. When Carson Wentz went down and they had the last second audible and changed a lot of things about that that offense, You know, make sure he's, Nick was comfortable, Frank played a large part in that. Uh, and I think you'll see that with Jacoby. And one of the most impressive things to me about Frank Reich is how, not easy, because playing quarterback is never easy, but how he makes it easier for his quarterbacks to play. You see how aggressive he is, which sets them up with, you know, manageable third down situations. They they didn't have a lot of third and longs last year because of how successful and aggressive they were early on in downs. Frank will go for it on fourth down. You know, he 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 trusts his quarterback. So I do believe having Frank is going to help Jacoby. And, and you mentioned it. When he played in 2017, he was traded for right before then. So he didn't have the full offseason. He's now been with the Colts for all of 17, all of 18, and then obviously training camp this year. So I think you'll see a better Jacoby Brissett. But... My concern is still this. You mentioned the offensive line. You mentioned how good the defense is. I do think the addition of, you know, Paris Campbell and Devin Funchess, those are going to make this offense better. If Jacoby falters, and this was a question we got from one of our readers on Twitter, at Smith39, do you think the Colts should make a trade right now for a more established backup just in case? Obviously a player... That was linked to them right away. Nate Sudfeld, backup quarterback for the Eagles. He he played with uh, Frank Reich when he was here in Philly. Eagles don't need him as much now because they signed McCown. But do you think the Colts need to go out and trade for another quarterback right now?
2: Well, I watched Chad Kelly. Um, you know, who's Jim Kelly's nephew, played pretty well in the preseason. I happen to like Chad. I know he's uh, he's going to be suspended for the first two games, so he's not even if he does when the backup job, you know, he's not available. Uh, I'm, you know, I would have thought if they were going to do something that they would have done it by now. Uh, I know a few days have gone by. I mean, Sam Bradford is out there uh, somewhere. I don't know what kind of shape he's in. But, you know, I mean, Sam Bradford has, you know, can complete passes and learn offenses very quickly. He's done it before in other places. Uh, Nate Sudfeld is certainly a guy that they developed in Philadelphia after picking him up from the Washington Redskins, and they worked very hard at developing their quarterbacks game day, pregame. And so uh, I think Frank is very familiar with that. Uh, But I would say that those are two available players. I I don't know that the Eagles are ready to just let Nate Sunfeld go after developing him for three years, despite the injury in preseason this year. But I would think, though, that if they're going to do it, they should do it pretty quickly here, Elliot. Now, if they were going to do it, I would have thought they would have done it by now.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I think the Eagles would be somewhat willing to move on from Sudfeld just because you have McCown now. Sudfeld's a free agent at the end of the year. But but you're right. They've invested a lot in him. I actually think Sudfeld would, if he was given a chance to start somewhere, would, would do well with the right head coach. I think he has a lot of the skills you want to see in a, uh, in a quarterback prospect. Big arm, tall, been coached by really good coaches for two years. So uh, obviously I think they're going to stick with Brissett, but Sudfeld would make some sense for them. But speaking of trades, and the AFC South, and it's a big week in the AFC South. Jadavion Clowney. Reports are that the Texans are are going to trade him. It's just a matter of when and to who. The teams you hear linked to him are the Miami Dolphins, the Seattle Seahawks, and of course the Philadelphia Eagles because they seem to be in on every single trade. That's just how Howie Roseman is as a general manager. Reports are that the Dolphins are the team the Texans would prefer to trade him to, but Clowney might not be as keen on the idea of going there. And he prefers going to a contender like a Seattle or a Philadelphia. So I really wanted to pick your brain before we talk about best fits for him. There's a lot of debate here in Philadelphia about how good Clowney really is. Obviously, number one pick viewed as one of the best defensive end prospects in a long time coming out. Slow start to his career, 18 and a half sacks over the last two seasons. So he has picked it up, but hasn't, really had that double-digit sack-type dominant season. So let me ask you, where is Clowney in terms of, if you look around the pass rushers around the league, how good is he, how high on that list is he, and is he a difference maker for any team that gets him?
2: He's a dominant, dominant football player. He is one of the five single most disruptive defensive players in the league. The numbers are just numbers. The guy ruins offenses. Now, Romeo Cornell has given him a great deal of freelance. He's not a disciplined player, but I don't know that you want him to just be in the same place. I mean, he moves around, and when he wants to go take the A gap or the B gap or run over the center, there's very little anybody can really do. He's just that powerful. And it's not just getting after the quarterback. I mean, he's a dominant player against the run. There's physically just very few people that can compare to Jadeveni and Clowney. He swings the balance of power. They have been a great defense with him and JJ and a lot of other pieces in Houston for the most of uh, the healthy years of Jadeveni and Clowney, which has basically been the last two years. Um, If he went to Seattle, it may swing the balance of Seattle going after the Rams for that division. If he came to Philadelphia, he would probably make the Eagles the clear-cut favorites to win the NFC East. I mean, he's just that type of player. And so the question is, how do you value his skills? It, do you, And that's the problem, is he hasn't signed his franchise tag, and he's got to sign it for him to be traded. Uh, so that's a stumbling block. But you're going to have to sign him after the season, and it's going to take $100 million plus. Now, I know there's a lot of ways to structure those contracts, Elliot, and I'm not an expert in that department of uh, how much money you put up front and you know, the balloon payments at the end, all that kind of stuff. But it's a $100 million figure. And there's very few guys that have signed those kind of contracts. Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox are two guys that come to mind where they have earned it and it's been worth it uh, because mm-hmm. they've been successful. So um, that's that's where you're at with Jadeveon and Clowney right now.
1: And, and I would think on the Eagles' end, at least I know the talk here in Philadelphia and from everything I've heard, the, the concern I don't think would be so much the money because, as you mentioned, he is going to get – if he has the year he's capable of and he does it in a market like Philadelphia and they have the type of team success that they could have, he's going to potentially get the highest contract in the history of defensive players. That's just how the NFL works. He'll be a year later than guys like you know Demarcus Lawrence, uh, Frank Clark, uh, guys like that that just recently signed contracts. So he'll get a lot of money is very good at, at, uh, at doing that. My only concern I kind of hear and what I, what I see with Clowney is the motor. That's one thing that you know, kind of sticks with him is he doesn't maybe give 110% on each play. And then you give him a contract like $100 million. That could be a concern. Do, do you think that's a fair criticism of Clowney?
2: Not really. You know, Because what player plays 100% all the time? I mean, if you want to just put a spotlight on anybody, are they really chasing a play 50 yards downfield every play? No, they're not. Reggie White didn't play like that, but Reggie White knew when to take over a football game. So that's the most important thing, to to be great on the downs that you have to be great on. On third downs, in the fourth quarter, when the game's in the bounds, can you change the game? That's where you have to measure these guys. Uh, if he were to come to Philadelphia, He would be in a rotation system. Jim Schwartz is great at it. Fletcher Cox could get double digit sacks every year. If he wanted to play 80% of the snaps. Now he Fletcher played too many snaps last year due to injuries. And it probably hurt the way that he played. I mean, he's 315 pounds. He, he can't play all out every snap, but if you play him 70% of the snaps, Fletcher Cox is what you want. And that's what you have to do to Clowney. I mean, if he was in some kind of rotation where he played, let's just say, 70% of the snaps versus maybe 90%, you'd probably get a really good Jadevian clown. Not every team can afford to do that, though.
1: If you're clowny, do you think he's making the right call trying to push his way to a situation like Seattle or Philadelphia? Or do you say, you know what, the Dolphins, they really want me. They reportedly met with Clowney last week. Uh, you know, Florida, no state income tax, great place to live, all that stuff. Would you be hesitant to go to Miami if you were a clowny?
2: Yeah, I would, because they're in a mm-hmm. real rebuilding process. Now they have some pieces. You know, Laramie Tunsil is as good a left tackle as there is in football. Um, you know, I mean, I could go through the roster of guys that they have, where they have some really good players. Um, but they're a long ways away. They're unsure about their quarterback situation. Uh, it looks like a complete rebuild right now, and so he's in his prime right now, and so you don't know how long you could possibly last. Sometimes, uh, where you can maintain that level of play, and so if I'm Genevieve Clowney, I mean you control, you basically control this whole this whole scenario because the only the only control a player really has, if he wants a new contract or he wants out, is to withhold his services. So really, Clowney's got nothing to lose. He can always come back in on September 7th, sign his franchise tag, and play on the 8th, and the Texans would love to have him for one year. He can continue to hold out and see if he can force a trade to a contending team because the Texans are a contending team. They won the division last year. Uh, they're a playoff-caliber team. So he can always go back, but if they're not going to give him guaranteed money in the big contract and they don't think that you know he's worth it or they don't want to do that, then he has the ability to force his way out. And players, there's only a couple of players in the league that can really do that. We'll see what happens to Ezekiel Elliott. We'll see what happens to Jevon and Clowney. But you have to be a great player with real leverage on your side to even begin that process.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if maybe too much has happened between the Texans and Clowney at this point for him to come back. Obviously, the reports was he was going to return after the third preseason game. That didn't happen. He fired his agent this week. It seems like that situation is just getting worse. So I do wonder if Seattle or Philadelphia will be able to kind of swoop in and get him for a little less than projected. I mean, a guy like Clowney, you can get him for a third, fourth-round pick. I think I think you go and do it. Last, last uh, Clowney question I have for you, though. Obviously, he played in a 3-4 there in Houston. Had his hand in the dirt a lot. I mean, was more of a traditional defensive end in a lot of ways than his linebacker tag would, would make you think. But do you have any concerns about him going from a 3-4 to a 4-3 if that's where he lands?
2: None. No, I mean, he's, he, he's a much better player going forward. Um, he's more capable with his size and uh, his explosive first step and his power of just being an mm-hmm. every down defensive end. In fact, his style actually fits Seattle and Philadelphia much better than really anything he did in Houston. I mean, both those teams, Seattle and Philadelphia, are going after the quarterback every play, and they play the runner on the way to the quarterback. Um, I think it. I think uh, really he, he can could learn things pretty quickly. Um, you know, Jim Schwartz's system is pretty simple. I mean, <laughs> it's the defensive right. line just can't go
1: after the quarterback. Yeah.
2: Well, his, the defensive line job in Jim Schwartz's system is just to go break a bunch of stuff, and the linebacker's job is to go clean that stuff up. I'm using another mm-hmm. word for stuff, but that's that's his job, and that's kind of what they do in Seattle as well. So let, let's
1: assume Clowney does not play for the Texans this year. It seems like that's where it's trending. Uh, I do think you'll see him for one of the three teams we just talked about. My guess would still probably be Miami. They seem the most motivated to get a deal done, and ultimately I think Clowney just agrees to go there. But let, let's take a larger look now at the AFC South, because with Clowney potentially out of there, Andrew Luck we know is going to be gone That division looks a lot different than it did last year. You bring Nick Foles to the Jaguars. The the Titans had a better year than expected, but they're having quarterback issues. If Clowney is not on the Texans, is this a team that's still capable of repeating? Because I have a lot of concerns with this team. Let let me run them by you, and then I want your your feedback on what you think. One, the offensive line remains a concern, and that's why you see them trying to trade Clowney. They want to get a, a left tackle if possible, someone they could plug in and play right away. But as good as Deshaun Watson is, and he he's a phenomenal talent, if you don't have a good offensive line, look, we just saw Andrew Luck retire because he got hit so much. Not that Watson's going to retire, but I do think the offensive line is an issue. Two, I'm not a huge Bill O'Brien guy. I I just I don't think he's gotten the most out of that roster, and I have some concerns about the head coach there. So what are what are your thoughts on the Texans, the offensive line, and should they be considered the favorites to to win that
2: division? Um, I think they're still a good team. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks like they're going to start a rookie Max Sharpening at right guard right now. Titus Howard uh, I don't think is going to win a job. He's He was their first pick. Uh, but it looks like Sharping is going to go in at right guard. They're okay. They're really very average to below average at tackle. Laramie Tunsil in there, I mean, if you made that trade over Skype right now, um, they would, they'd be an elite offensive line. He's just that good. Um, but it's going to be, look, the tit- the Titans were 9-7 and seven last year. Uh, the Colts won 9 out of their last 10 to get to the playoffs. Uh, Jacksonville basically played with no quarterback last year and no Leonard Fournette. I mean, I've watched Fournette this preseason. Uh, he looks like the Leonard Fournette from two years ago. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. trucking people. Uh, they want to be the big bully on the block. Um, they have the capability. If that offense line stays healthy and Nick Foles does what I think he's capable of doing, they look like they can return to a nine or ten win team, maybe more. I mean, they. I think there's four teams there that all look like they're capable, including the Colts. They all look like they could win nine or ten games, but some. You know, obviously, you can't all win nine or ten. So somebody is going to be the doormat. Somebody's going to excel, but. Right here, going into the fourth preseason game this this week here, Elliot, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell which team is going to win this division. I I think ten wins probably wins it.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I, I think you'll you'll see ten wins, maybe even nine wins, depending how much they they beat up on each other. I I think this is a two race, a two team race though. I think it's the Colts and the Jaguars. The Texans to me. First of all, they had the third-easiest schedule in the NFL last year, so so it'll be tougher this year coming back off of a first-place schedule. And I thought this stat I found uh, from Warren Sharp was super fascinating. The Texans last year were 11-0 when winning by three points or more at halftime. They were 0-6 when they were trailing by two points or more. So getting a lead for them is absolutely crucial. And the way you get leads in the NFL is you throw the ball and you disrupt the other quarterback. If the offensive line's an issue – and Clowney's not there, those are two areas they could really take a step back. So I think the Texans, and not to mention the disastrous situation they have going on in the front office, I think they're going to be third place. So now you go to the Colts and the Jaguars. We've already talked about the Colts. I like Jacoby Brissett. maybe not as much as you do, but honestly, the more I watch your Baldy breakdowns on Twitter, the more I like him. And I do think it'll be a drop-off from luck, but with Frank Reich, I think the offense will still be pretty good. And as you mentioned, the defense has a ton of talent. The Jaguars as a team, I think, is going to surprise some people. And Nick Foles, obviously, coming from Philadelphia, he's never had success anywhere else. I mean, playing with Jeff Fisher in St. Louis the first time around, I think, kind of really handcuffed him. We saw how much Jared Goff improved once Sean McVay got there. But I think Foles will be a significant improvement for them uh, down in Jacksonville. And I think one thing that got overshadowed a little last year was how the Jaguars' defense was still elite. Last year, it was still one of the top five coming off of 2017, where they were just in another world. I think they take a slight step back and you say, okay, the defense isn't as good, but it was still really good. And where Foles is at his best is when the other team, what was when they're controlling the clock, they're running the ball and you just have to count on him to make a few clutch throws. And I think he can definitely do that. So I I look at this division and I think it's the Colts or the Jaguars, the Texans third. And I think the Titans are are just going to be fourth. What have you seen from Ryan Tannehill and Marcus Mariota? I mean, is that just a disastrous situation there? Or is there hope that one of them can step up and really command that position?
2: Well, Marcus is a starting quarterback. Um, yeah. And yeah. people can look at Marcus's throwing motion. They could look at his injury history. They could look at a lot of things that say he hasn't developed over four years. And you're not wrong in saying any of that. But I feel like I know Marcus pretty well. The guy's a warrior. He's just an absolute warrior. He's a quiet leader. He doesn't really say much. It's his Polynesian background that sort of speaks for itself. Um, He doesn't bring a lot of attention to himself. But he is a winner. And he is an extremely tough kid. And he has the respect of everybody in that organization. They have been trying to rebuild that team around him. I think getting Delaney Walker back is going to help them. The offensive line does not look very good right now. I know they brought Saffold in. Um, I want to see, I mean, Taylor Lewan is going to miss a month, but he'll be back. Um, They took a long time to figure out that Derrick Henry should be the starting tailback on that football team last year and that they should build around him. I still think Tennessee, first of all, they have a a very good defense. They were the third best defense in football last year. They took the Patriots apart. They dominated some games last year. Uh, they have a lot of guys that people don't really know much about, but they have, I think, the makings of a very good defense that's going to keep them in a lot of games. I mean, they're going to be – they won nine games last year uh, quietly. They were—they won a playoff game the year before. They're not going away, Elliot. They're going to be there to the end. Uh, it may not always be pretty or sexy, but they they tackle well. They protect the football. They do a lot of essential things to win football games. So I'm not down in the Tennessee Titans at all. I like a lot of players in that team and I like Mike Vrabel a great deal. So, I mean, if you look at Jacksonville, I like Jacksonville, I, you know, Nick Foles had great success with Alshon Jeffrey and Zach Ertz and I just don't see those kind of players in Jacksonville. I mean, Marquise Lee just came back and I like D.D. Westbrook and Keelan Cole, but they don't, they're not jump ball kind of guys where you just can throw it to an area and let them go get it the way they did for mm-hmm. Nick. I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see the type of timing. There's not an, a, a real tight end that can control the middle of the field. So I want to see how Nick builds some timing with some of these receivers there in Jacksonville because it takes more than just a couple of clutch throws uh, to win football games. Um, in some some weeks maybe, but most weeks, got, you can't hide the quarterback. I'm not asking Jacksonville to hide him. But you've got to have some chemistry with the wide receivers, too.
1: So if you had to pick right now, how do you see that division playing out, one through four?
2: Well, I'd probably take Jacksonville or Tennessee right now to win it. But like I said, I don't know that a game separates. We may see two teams tied, you know, and it may come down to a tiebreaker. I can see two teams, three teams at nine and seven in that division. I mean, I think they're, they're going to beat each other up a lot throughout the year
1: yeah so I remember when Marcus Mariota was coming out of Oregon I was in Philadelphia obviously and Chip Kelly was trying to trade up to get him I was huge on Marcus Mariota so I agree he has a ton of potential I just don't know if he has it in this year to lead them potentially to either first or second place in the division but if he doesn't do it and you don't see him get the job done that's when you could really see the Titans start to look for a new quarterback next year and In any walk of life, Baldy, when you're looking for somebody, you need to hire somebody, you need someone to come in and really help you, your team, your franchise, your business, we all know the number one place to do that is, of course, ZipRecruiter. Look, hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring is easy, and there's only one place to get it done. That is, of course, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter sends you jobs to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't just stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spots the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Maybe the Titans next year are looking for that qualified candidate and they gotta get one soon. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. And enter ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So if the Titans are looking for a quarterback next year, they're going to want a rookie quarterback. And I know one of your favorite things to do in the preseason, you watched all the games already from week three is to watch these rookie quarterbacks. We have Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, guys like that. How do you think Kyler improved from, uh, you know, his kind of struggle, struggle against the Oakland Raiders to how he played against the Vikings? Uh, and what stood out to you this week, kind of like Baldy's rookie quarterback report card?
2: Well, the first thing you have to, I mean, he played well in Minnesota on Saturday afternoon. I mean, it was a good performance. Um, the first thing that's, that stands out is as opposed to other great athletes that have played quarterback, is he's never looking just to run, he's always looking to throw first. In fact, I think he goes through his progressions pretty well. The Vikings threw a lot at him. I mean, they threw some uh six man pressure, some overload pressures at him. He handled it all well. He was very good on third downs. Um, you know, whether it was third and two to you know to, to Kirks, you know, whether it was third and four to um Larry Fitzgerald, I mean he got the ball to his receivers. Right. Right. He protected the ball really well. Um, you know, and then he did get out of harm's way when he had to. But I thought Kyler really looked much better. And really, Arizona has done very little so far from a game planning standpoint of what they might try to do, whether it's tempo, whether it's formations. Um I mean, we really haven't seen much. But I thought from what Kyler did against the Raiders, to what he did against the Vikings, it was a big leap and a leap where, I think a lot of people could go, you know, he, he's going to be just fine in this league.
1: Yeah, you mentioned to me last time we talked that uh, I think Arizona maybe ran every single play out of the same formation in one preseason game. So uh, Kiff Clemensbury obviously going above and beyond not to show anything there in Arizona. Daniel Jones, another strong preseason performance. There's now some talk that maybe it's really only Mara in that organization that wants to start Eli. Pat Schirmer wants Daniel Jones in there. That potential power struggle aside, it looks like it's going to be Eli. But in a world where they did start Daniel Jones, have you seen enough improvement for him where you think he could play Week One against Dallas?
2: Well, I mean, Dallas has got a great defense. Um, I there's no rush to start him right now. I mean, Donovan McNabb didn't mm-hmm. start. I mean, a lot of guys didn't start that had great careers. I don't think there's any rush. But I mean, I, if if something happened to Eli. Today, and you started Daniel Jones, I think he'd be just fine. I mean, the game's not too fast for him. What we haven't seen from Daniel Jones, because he's been so good with his reads, protection has been really good, and he knows where to go with the ball, is we haven't seen the athlete Daniel Jones. I mean, when you watch this guy run now, I mean, he, he really he's really a good runner, and he knows how to protect himself. I mean, we haven't had, he hasn't had a chance to really show off his speed or his ability, but, you know, David Cutcliffe did that at Duke. He ran for 186 yards against North Carolina last year. I mean, he can really run and take off and add that element to his game, something that obviously, you know, Eli doesn't do. So – but he's been accurate. He's – gosh, uh, no, he's missed five passes this preseason. It's a small sample of work. I get it. But he certainly looks like the prospect that you would want with the sixth pick. And I've watched him in practice. He's just as effective in practice. Um I, I don't I think it's gonna be almost impossible for him not to see the field this year.
1: So so Washington names Case Keenum the starting quarterback this week. He's gonna start week one against the Eagles. Something I know Eagles fans are very excited about considering the last time they played Keenum and Keenum was in Philadelphia. He lost thirty-eight to seven in that NFC championship game. But Dwayne Haskins, what have you seen from him? Do you think he's a little little further behind where Daniel Jones is right now, where Kyler Murray is, or do you, have you also seen encouraging signs from him on what he could do if he had to go in and start?
2: Yeah, I see signs, Ellie. I mean, look, he he was a one-year starter at Ohio state in a shotgun spread offense. I mean, I see him under center. I see him play action. I see him, you know, turn his back to the defense. I see him get the ball out on timing. I see him attacking. I mean, he missed, I mean, two touchdowns last week by just inches. I mean, he's, He's close. He's really close. I mean, I see a guy in the offensive line that they they played, I guess they're what is going to be their starting line right now, you know, minus uh, Trent Williams, their left tackle. Uh, I don't know if he's coming back or when he's going to come back if he does. But, you know, he's been he's shown the ability to to stay in there and make the reads. I mean, I like what I've seen from Dwayne Haskins. He even texted me back saying, you know, it's a marathon. This isn't uh, I'm not going to be, um, you know, an A player in the first three preseason games, but I see an improving player and a player that certainly has the talent and a lot of the tools that you're looking for.
1: One thing you hear a lot in the preseason is whenever a guy has a good game, you say, okay, well, it's just preseason, right? They're not game planning. These defenses are vanilla. But as a guy that's watched basically every single snap of the preseason so far, one thing we've talked about is you're not seeing those vanilla defenses. You think that the the players that are offensive that are playing well, they're going against some, some actual you know, complicated defensive schemes.
2: I mean, I see teams emptying the bucket. I mean, I see seven-man pressures and six-man pressures and overloads. I saw the Vikings run a five-man overload to one side, uh, drop the other side of the defense, take the, the, the crossers away. And I mean, I've seen a lot. And I think what's happened is – You have to practice these blitzes. You have to practice disguising blitzes. You have to put the players in position to make these type of plays and know what it's like without a free safety. You know, to see if your slot corner can hold up, to see if your rookie corner can hold up in man coverage, you have to put them in those positions to do it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these coordinators, it's not every play, but I see an awful lot of blitzing this preseason. And when people just say, well, they haven't seen anything – and to use that word vanilla, it's simply not true. They're not watching these games, and they're not studying it the way they need to in order to make those kind of blanket, cliche statements because it's not true.
1: So we got some questions here about the preseason. We'll wrap up with uh, some questions people have submitted. And, again, thanks to everyone that listened to Episode 1 and that tweeted at me and Baldy so some questions for the episode. So we have one from at it's Luis Antonio. What have you seen from Eagles cornerback Sidney Jones so far in the preseason? And he also wanted your thoughts on uh, Donnell Pumphrey.
2: So Sidney, they've been cross-training uh, Sidney to play corner and to play slot corner. And I, I don't know which one he's going to line up at yet. But I think he's going to start for the Eagles against the Redskins. Um, I think he's a long ways removed from the Achilles tear of two and a half years ago. Uh, in his pro day at Washington. And I think he's a much better player right now than he looked at any point last year when he looked like he struggled a great deal. So I, but they're, they're you know, they're, they're tra- cross-training him with Devontae Maddox, you know, once in the corner, mm-hmm. once in the slot. I think both players are going to end up starting for the Eagles this year, Maddox and Jones. My guess is Maddox will be the nickel corner and City Jones will start outside.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing about Sydney is seeing all of his training camp practices. He's played better in training camp practices than he, than he has in the games. Not to say that he's he struggled in the preseason games because it's been somewhat limited action. But he's had one of the best training camps of anybody on that defense. And you mentioned the cross training. He played in the slot last year, something he didn't do in college at Washington. And they've been playing him still at nickel somewhat, but on the outside a lot more. They really like some Avante Maddox in there. Uh, at the at the slot nickel position. So I think you'll see him on the outside, and I think he will play better this year. Whether he starts or not depends on the health of Ronald Darby. It seems like they really like Rasul Douglas as well. Um, as for Donnell Pumphrey, I, I respect the fact Luis wants to ask about this. Donnell's not making the team. I like Donnell. I think that he he's better than Eagles fans give him credit for, but he's probably more of a practice squad guy. Um, the second question we had, a little more technical, from at89 Jermaine how hard is it to switch positions along the line? You see a lot in training camp, guys go from tackle to guard from the left side to the right side. How hard of a transition is that as a former offensive lineman yourself?
2: Well, most guys I played. I started all five offensive line positions. So I took pride in the ability to do that. Um, uh, I started a whole year at center. I, I played them all, but I'm watching like Matt Pryor. Matt Pryor is playing left guard, left tackle. Uh, it's, it's, Right now, most teams are just dressing seven offensive linemen on Sunday. And so mm-hmm. two reserved offensive linemen have to be able to play multiple positions. Typically, you have a guy in the Eagles case like Wisniewski who could play guard and center if something would happen to any of those players. And they need a swing tackle. And so, you know, it might might be Jordan Mailata right now. I mean, I don't, I don't really know. It could be the first round pick. Uh, but it's it's... If you're going to be, if you're not a starter in this league, you have to learn multiple positions, and so it's it's what's necessary if you're going to survive, and be a game day player. And it's an important position when the offensive line starts to get uh, injuries and starts to have injuries. And very few teams in this league, as you know, Elliot, go through a season starting the same five offensive linemen. We could count them on one hand of the teams that did it a year ago. So these. Players, I'm not saying it's easy, but they have to learn multiple positions.
1: Yeah, when you're looking at trying to make a 53-man roster, especially as a younger guy, having that ability to play multiple positions is absolutely key. Whenever teams draft offensive linemen, one of the top things you hear is, you know we liked him because he could he played tackle and then he moved to guard. Or we've seen him at center and he's also taken snaps at tackle. So I I, uh, I do think that ability to move along the line is absolutely crucial. Um, you know, this one comes from the
2: on the last year. Played four different positions in a game against Tampa. I mean he's the ultimate right now Swiss Army mm-hmm. knife on that Eagles offensive line.
1: Yeah, and he's really improved from a rookie, too. I mean, he had a somewhat rough start to his career, but as you mentioned, he's a backup center. He can play both guards. He's played tackle, and sometimes he'll even make him an eligible tight end if they really need to. Uh, next question from at C 58 You know, we always talk about Kansas City's offense. The defense this year, as a new defensive coordinator in Steve Spagnola, they're moving from a 3-4 to a 4-3. Have you heard anything about how that's going? Have you seen anything on the preseason tape to make you think that transition is going to be a smooth one? Uh, How's that looking so far?
2: Well, Frank Clark sure looked good um, last weekend. It's a new starting right defensive end. Um, He's just a great player. I mean, Pete Carroll at one point said that Frank Clark was the most explosive player he's ever coached. Now, Pete Carroll's been around this guy a long time. You know, obviously, uh, New England and the Jets and USC and Seattle I mean that's saying a lot when you've coached you know a lot of great players so Frank Clark is going to be a big addition to that team uh Chris Smith is back in the uniform right now uh this Derek Nomdi is looks like a good nose tackle I mean I think they're going to have a good front four uh, the corners look like it's a problem right now um they've had some Bashad Breeling got hurt last week they look like uh Thornhill, the rookie from Virginia, was playing out there last week. I think he's more of a safety than corner. I mean, I just think corners is going to be a real problem for Kansas City right now. It won't surprise me to see them make a move or to hit the wire next week when some of them might become available.
1: So last one uh, from at Jack Zim. And, of course, everybody's having their fantasy football drafts this, this week. And, and, by the way, if you're in a fantasy football league, don't draft until – don't draft after week two of the preseason. Do it as close to week one as you can because you see people that drafted Andrew Luck and Lamar Miller one night, and both those guys are gone. So do it as close to week one as you can. But let me ask you, Baldy. Well, first of all, Baldy, are you a fantasy football
2: guy or – Well, I was in Atlanta last week with uh, a sports talk station, and I emceed their fantasy draft in downtown Atlanta. There was probably a couple thousand people there. To be honest with you, Elliot, I'm not surprised, but to see it live, I was elated at the amount of information that these fantasy football freaks have on these players. I mean, they they do their homework. They, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sort of independent of how the game is played. Sometimes, in my mind, from my standpoint, but I know how important it is, and I know how hard these players and these teammates work at the draft. So I don't play, Elliot. I played one year, and my first pick was Tom Brady, and was the year that he got hurt and I haven't played since. But I respect fantasy football, the people that play it, and the importance that it plays in the NFL for the growth of the NFL.
1: So, so I have my fantasy football draft tonight for 94 WIP. Not going to take a quarterback with my first pick, but – who are some guys that you've seen around the league that you think could be some fancy football sleepers? One guy I really like, Justice Hill out of Baltimore. I saw him firsthand here in Philadelphia. I think they're going to throw it to him a lot. We know the Ravens are going to run the ball a lot. Definitely a deeper pick. I mean, Mark Ingram's going to start there. Uh, Lamar Jackson's going to get some of those carries. I like Justice Hill. Uh, the readers, Jack Zim, asked about David Montgomery in Chicago. But who are some some running backs specifically you think could have breakout years?
2: Well, let's just start with those two guys. I remember talking to personnel guys with the Eagles, you know, back in March getting ready for the draft. And I told them that my two favorite running backs in the draft were Justice Hill and David Montgomery. Now I'm biased. I do big 12 games and I've seen both of them. So David Montgomery has, I mean, he, look, David Montgomery is, is Kareem Hunt. That's who he is. I think he's going to be mm-hmm. the starting back at some point in Chicago. Uh, it might not be week one. But he's going to be their starting running back, I believe. Um, And I am a big Justice Hill fan. He was the fastest back of the draft. Um, He had an incredible sophomore season at Oklahoma State. Fell off a little bit last year because uh, Mike Gundy kind of rested him a little bit and took him out of some blowout games. But I like both those guys. But look, Josh Jacobs is going to get 300, 350 touches in Oakland. Um, You know, and I don't, and I think he catches the ball. A lot of these guys catch the ball a lot better than what people think. Devin Singletary in Buffalo, I, I can see the Bills make a move. Maybe with Shady McCoy. I mean, they've got Frank Gore there. You know what Frank is going to give you. But this Devin Singletary is going to see the field. He caught six passes at Florida Atlantic last year. They didn't throw the ball to him, but he's caught everything they've thrown to him in a preseason. I mean, he might move up the charts if Buffalo decides to make a move at running back.
1: Yeah, so I passed on Josh Jacobs in my fantasy league. Hearing you say he's going to get 350 touches, it's just devastating. I I probably should have taken him. But nonetheless, I am pumped that we got the second episode in here. And, Baldy, next time we talk, we are going to be talking regular season 2019 NFL football. I can't wait. So a reminder to everybody. Go subscribe and keep leaving those ratings in reviews. I love reading them. I love the five-star reviews. If you have a question you want want either me or Baldy to answer, leave it in the review, and I promise you we will answer it on next week's pod. So Prevent Defense, go subscribe, go leave those ratings, and we will have a new episode for you next week. So for Brian Baldinger, I'm Elliot Short-Parks. Talk to you guys next week. Talk to you next week, Baldy.
2: Thanks, Elliot. I look forward to it. You bet, buddy.